lifelong readers you are in the place to be this is books of pop culture i'm the master curator reggie bailey he's the question god achille nazari achille how you feeling hey you know um feeling good you know my 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 locks are long and flowing even though the person we're talking to today might not enjoy the the long and flowing nature of my locks uh as much as i do but uh what was i gonna say feeling good feeling great i think um how are you feeling you know you killed the show how are you feeling uh, a few days after killing oh, man <laughs> you mean you mean people like assume the show was over although i said in the message we're not breaking up and Wait, i didn't say anything the- about thursday <laughs> episodes at all i said monday episodes were going you know i wonder if it even which you know it wasn't that many folks but i wonder if people think of it in terms of the day of the episode yeah well you know what i mean I, now they they need to know <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i was disappointed <laughs> that i had to write that quick note on thursday episodes i'm not i'm not even gonna lie i was very disappointed that it had to happen oh, with all due respect I, it was nice to see that folks was gonna be sad though yeah you know shout outs <laughs> to y'all lifelong readers i really yeah. appreciate y'all and yeah. of course I appreciate the fellowship, right? Because without without y'all, this is impossible, right? And to anyone listening or watching, you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. And that's a privilege that we do not take lightly. So thank you. We we truly appreciate you. Um, there are many places where you can locate books of pop culture, such as YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you name the place, we're probably there. And on those places, you can do things that we like, such as subscribe, follow leave five stars and of course you could tell some people that you enjoyed some time with us whether you're whispering to them whether you sharing on your socials or whatever just you know make sure word of mouth is going strong that's that's the oldest and greatest form of uh of advertisement as they say uh, make sure you also go to booksofpopculture.com because you could join the fellowship there right that's our amazing patreon community with amazing things going on in there you can also subscribe to The Days, which is our newsletter on Substack. And this is very important because as you're listening to this, right, we are putting out pieces every week. Achilles putting out a piece every Monday. I'm putting out a piece every Tuesday. So it's uh, it's, it's about, to get, about to get really fun over here. You're going to read us and listen to us, just like your favorite books, right? So and you can also shop our bookshop at www.bookshop.org slash shop slash Books of pop culture. Achilles, we have our second repeat guest. Yes, yes. Hey, this is this is special. You know, yes. uh, I'm gonna read the introduction again, although y'all probably gonna figure out who this is very early on. An author and professor of African American studies at Clark Atlanta University. His books include The Coming, Perfect Peace, They Tell Me of a Home, Don't Cry for Me, and more. He is the winner of the Distinguished Writer Award from the Middle Atlantic Writers Association and has been nominated for the Townsend Prize for Fiction, the Ernest J. Gaines Award, and the Georgia Author of the Year Award. He was raised in Blackwell, Arkansas, and lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Our guest today is the legend, Dr. Daniel Black, and we will be speaking to him about Black on Black right after this quick break. Dr. Black, you you know that we are very excited to be here with you for the second time. Yes, sir. Second time. 
you yes, join elite company, you know, yes, the sir. only other author whom we've had on here two times is Hanif Abdurkeeb. So yeah. what happened was, so, so typically what happens is I offer the people who come on for a second time a gig. I say, Hey, look, in the event you retire from your authoring, you can become the next member of books of pop culture. <laughs> and that offer still stands. But I will say we offered Hanif Abdurkeeb a lot of money. So you know, we got to keep working before we get you, you know what I'm saying, that amount. Because we offer yeah. him, like, Tom Brady numbers. So we got to, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. work our way up to, like, get you your, your Brady numbers, too. But we going to send that to you once you say, yo, I hung him up. I'm retired. I ain't writing yes, no more. Sir. Yes, you sir. know what I mean? So you're going to be <laughs> books of pop culture along with him. Yes, so yes. Just wanted yes, to sir. let you know that. Yes, and, sir. Um, I also just just want to say I knew immediately, right, that um, when I saw that you were putting out another book that, um, you know, another book just with a quick turnaround, uh, you know, because Don't Cry For Me just came out in January last year. I was like, oh, yeah, we got to get him back. So, yeah, it's just it's great to be here. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm really, really honored to be here. I really am. Well, how are you doing? And when we say how you doing, we mean that genuinely. I know you've heard my bit about the trap gas before. Uh -huh. <laughs> How are you doing, Dr. Black? You know, I'm really doing tremendously well. I'm doing beautifully well. Um, this book, Black on Black, is is soaring, man, just beyond anything I could have known, I could have dreamed, anything I could have imagined, anything I could have foretold, you know. And I'm so excited. And I'm excited because my people, Black people all over this country are reading this book and sending me emails and sending me notes and, and, and calling me and talking about how this book has changed their lives and, and, and how the vulnerability has, has welcomed their own vulnerability. And um, I'm just really, 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 really excited about it. Yeah. yeah. No. And, um, you know, I must say, I've been seeing your name pop up in places and I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, right? because you know, of course, you you did work with Malcolm Jamal Warner, right, right, um, on his album, but then also, you know, one one night you're on uh, Instagram Live with KSA Layman. Shout out to him forever. That's right. Yes, and my man. I see Monique pop in the chat. Biggie, you up <laughs> yeah. when you talking? I was yeah, like, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. not the black. Absolutely, <laughs> it's been it's again, it's been it's really been a writer's dream. It really has. And not just that the book is selling well, which it is, but that the book is uh, influencing and, 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 and shaping culture, you know, that it's really touching people's lives and making people think and reconsider and, 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 and tussle with issues and, and, and argue with the text, which is what you want people to do. You know, that's really an engaged reader. You know, you don't want just people, you know, just to call the words. You want the words to call them into a conversation, you know, and, and that's been happening. And it's just a dream. It really, really is. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I can imagine. And, um, you know, I asked you this, obviously, you know, before, um, what's the most important lesson you've learned about the business of writing? So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll alter it a little bit. Right. I know that. Your last two books have been with Hanover Square Press. Right. I know prior to you were uh, working with St. Martin's. Right. Right. Um, so I guess what is the most important lesson you've learned about the business of writing, perhaps in the last calendar year? Right. Putting out, you know, uh, Don't Cry For Me last year, which, you know, I definitely know was was a hit. Right. It was, and, it was. and, you know, you it come is. back 
second year in a row, you know, with another hit, right? Yes, but yes, this, sir. but this different press. I mean, is there anything you've learned in this last year about the business of writing that maybe is new compared to like all the work you did prior? I think so. And that is metaphorically, I would tell people, write naked. You know mm. what I mean? Write naked. Yeah. Meaning metaphorically, unless and until you bear the soul, the book has done is no good. Mm. The point of literature is to strip the writer absolutely naked. So the world can see that there is no new truth. It's just waiting on the, everyone to tell it. Yeah. Mm. Right. And that's what I really learned about, about writing, at least for me, is, is that there's nobody on the planet who has the power to give you breath. So no one should have the power to alter your consciousness. No one should have the power to limit your freedom. Yeah. You know, and, and I lived in that limitation for years and years and years and years. You know, I lived with fear of what other people might think about me. I, I, I live with fear of what other people might say, you know, uh, about my queer existence. I live with fear about what other folks thought about, you know, this, that or the other. And what I realized is that I had given power away to the powerless. Mm. Mm. Come on now. And so I decided that I would simply, if I'd given it away, I could take it back. Yeah. 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 You know, and so that, yeah. And so that's exactly what I did. And what I realized is um, the strength of being you is the strength of not just, hey, God, not just knowing who you are. It's also the strength of what did God imagine while you were being conceived? Mm. Right. In creating you, what was God imagining? See, God didn't just imagine the conception. God also imagined what would be the fruit of it if the person lived in freedom. You know, and so I and so I've decided, gentlemen, that I want to know I want to live out. I want to see what God imagined in creating me. I'm, uh, I just opened me up a Google Doc of uh, quotes for the evening. Um, <laughs> if you've given power away, then you can take it back. Uh, what did God imagine uh, when she created you? That's right. Uh, yes, yes, uh, yeah. yes. My Facebook statuses are going to be popping now. And I'm going to be having some <laughs> conversations. Yes. Man, <laughs> and that's important, Akili, because, see, most of us think that our parents had sex and thus we resulted. No, hmm. no. No, Come on, listen, if I'm a really go here, there have been plenty of times we had sex and nothing was conceived. Mm, come on now. <laughs> yes, yes, come on now. Yeah. Hey. Sex does not create. Sex simply opens the way for God to send what God conceived. Come on now. Mm. Listen, listen, I will, I'll do this for my mother. So I did this thing with my mom <clears throat> during what a week where I interviewed her every day, right? There's a slew of things that she said in the, in the process of this call that I took out because it was like a minute and 30 seconds. One of which is this very, I, I feel it's a strange story. My father always told her that he prayed over the bed before they conceived me. That and that is just the strangest thing no, right? that, that I've ever me. heard. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense to me. Listen. Mm. Because there is no conception without God as that partner. Is, 
So yeah. God has to enter yeah. the equation. If God doesn't enter the equation, sex will happen, but conception will not. Because God is the creator. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We reproduce. He always says. Yeah. Yeah. We reproduce what God created. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you know, I'm 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 taking a small step back, right? But mm -hmm. co please correct me if I'm wrong here too. Is Black on Black your first work of nonfiction? That's correct. So I'm wondering if there's a specific kind of nakedness you felt more empowered to do mm -hmm. writing nonfiction for the first time that perhaps you didn't feel writing fiction. Like is is, is there is there something to that? Absolutely. In fact, fiction for all practical purposes. Fiction is a glorious uh, uh, evening gown. Fiction is a is is a three piece suit. Fiction mm. is the beauty of fiction is that you get to dress up truth right in many 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 costumes in many disguises. Truth gets to linger in the room unannounced, but it's always present. Mm. Right, nonfiction strips truth down of all of the accoutrement. It, it robs truth of any hiding places. Nonfiction insists, right, that you stand bare like a, like, like a tree in the forest in the winter. Right? <laughs> but the beauty of nonfiction is that that naked tree in the winter can also be glorious. <laughs> See, the beauty of a tree is that it does not at all mind relinquishing those leaves letting those trees go letting those leaves go because what the tree knows is that you first surrender and then you become more glorious the next round mm. yeah right and so what i realized writing this nonfiction is that i would get to say some things to the world uh um unblemished i get to say some things to the world uninhibited some things uh um, unedited, right? I got to share some emotions um, exactly as I felt them, right? And I got to say some things to the world that have that that have that have rumbled in my spirit for years, um, and some things to the black community that hopefully will make us love ourselves more fiercely, but also help us to realize that in some cases, we have been the perpetuators of our own bondage. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Can you provide your synopsis or elevate a pitch of what Black on Black is about and let us know the inspiration behind it? Absolutely. Black on Black is a collection of essays about the condition, about the achievements, about the beauty, about the brilliance, about the resilience, about the uh, um, uh, resplendent nature of what it has meant to be of African descent in, in this country. It is also an examination of, of some of the things we need to repair, some of the things we need to give some attention to if we are to sustain ourselves and to uphold our institutions into the future. And, and what I'm, I'm trying to really do is to help us be clear that um, that we've given too much time, we've given too much attention, we've given too much authority to whiteness and white supremacy. And that's been at the subtraction, right? 
of the measure of our own excellence and the building of our own institutions. See, somewhere we have the erroneous notion that, um, that if white people improve, black life will improve. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Not only is that incorrect, it doesn't need to be correct. That's the thing. We yeah. don't need it to be correct. Whether it's correct or not is really irrelevant. We don't need it to be correct is really the issue here, right? And, and what I'm really trying to help us tease out and tease through is just how much of this pie do we really want? Hmm. And, and is this a pie we really even like? Hmm. And, and why in the world chase down a pie when you're the baker? Mm. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. Hey. We've, been, we've been cooking. I mean, if you want to follow the metaphor, we've been cooking for white folks for 400 years. And Come on now. About, we want a piece of their pie. They don't have no pie. They ain't got it. <laughs> mm. It's our pie. You see, and, and 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 I'm using that metaphor because once we understand that, we'll stop running after um, materiality and capitalistic things, which seemingly hint to black success. Black success can never be encapsulated in the material, mm -hmm. because black success first occurs in the spirit. Mm. Always. Because what our ancestors really valued was always invisible. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The things Come we on. valued was always invisible. Come on, lad. Yeah. Yeah. We and did we mm, gosh. We didn't value houses, but we valued a home. Hmm. Right? Yeah. 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 We called we called we call God a healer, but we know doctors are important. Mm -hmm. right? so, so what I'm really saying here is we have, we have adopted someone else's value system that's actually in, that, that is actually in exchange destroying our spiritual sensibilities. Mm. And so this book, Black on Black, what I aim for in this book is to get us as black people and quite frankly get us as a nation the entire nation so this book is for white people too you know when people ask me who do i write for i always say readers yeah right. come on now That's yeah, right yeah. For, you write for people who are willing to read you know mm. and yeah. and and so this book black in this book i'm hoping to spark some conversations i'm hoping to elicit uh some questions and some answers and some solutions and some ponderings and some inquiries Right, so that we can build a better human space, a better human possibility. What I want us to do in, in a minute is just consider the notion of, of, of what it means to be godlike in the flesh. Yeah. Right. And when we do that, we'll 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 make other considerations immediately. Like, like killing a person, going to war will seem very, very childlike when a person realizes that we were sent here. Right to see what God might look like, right in the flesh, and yeah. so I'm hoping black on black will will spark that. Yeah, no, it um it, it is, and I mean you you walk right into this 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 question, right? Like, 
whether it's our names, I even say our spirituality now, right? Mm-hmm. Our material items, our art, images, outfits, right? You talk in Black on Black about myriad ways that Black people lean into European items for value instead of African items and ideas. Absolutely. One of the biggest ways you speak of this is through our names that we have, right? And you even give the anecdote of, you know, Kuta Kente and Toby from Absolutely. Roots, Absolutely. right? And the languages that we advise our students to learn yes. at HBCUs. Yes. We often give, <clears throat> excuse me, we are often given European, dare I say, slave names, right? And when we go off to college, you talk to, you talk about us having to often learn languages like Spanish, French, and Mandarin. Can you speak to us further about the need for us to develop a strong sense of African identity uh, from our homes all the way through to the institutions that we attend or frequent? Absolutely. The first thing that I think is extremely important is we bear practically everybody's name in the world, but they don't bear ours. Hmm. You cannot go to Europe and find white people with African names. Hmm. Surely there are some white people who have found some pretty black names, but Hmm. they won't name their children that. Come on now. They will not name their children uh, 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 Kunta. They will not name their children Chisanganda. They will not name their sons Kwesi. They will not name their children Alatanka. They will not. But, but we've got to do enough analysis to answer the question, why won't they? Hmm. Because the second they name their children that, it will spark an interest in the child's spirit to know where that name came from and who are those people. Yeah. We name ourselves and we name our children after the people who despise us. And so we end up loving those those who despise us most because Mm. the name prepares the way. (laughs) Come on, Dad. So absolutely, George Washington Jefferson wants a piece of the American pie. Absolutely, Rachel wants to be part of the beauty pageant. Absolutely. Absolutely, George, absolutely, John wants to live and send his kids to the same schools that white folks send their children to. Because what we don't know is by the time a child reaches his or her consciousness at age two and three and four, the name has already shaped their being because we've been calling them this a million times over and over and over and over and over. Right. So when we say, John, 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 hey, come here, John, 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 come here, John, John, John comes. Malcolm understood this. That's why Malcolm gave that name back. Hmm. But somebody's going to get this. Woo, Sarah Baumfree understood this. And that's why she took the name Sojourner Truth. Harriet, Araminta Ross understood this. That's why she borrowed her mother's name to carry her through the forest. Hmm. Leroy Jones understood this. That's why he became Amiri Baraka. Baraka. Don L. Lee understood this such that he became Haki Marabuti. 
-hmm. And Tazaki Shange understood this. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. What you call a thing is what you conjure in its essence. Whether you know it or not, because the words obey the calling to pass your intention. <laughs> Let me get off. I, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Come on now. Nah, nah. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna do this. I, I never do this, but I gotta I gotta do it right now. You know, you gotta have those names up, right? Yo. Like and, and, and when <laughs> you were saying and when and when you were saying, right, and, and I'm I'm not just saying this like casually, I haven't thought about how Jared Woods found Achilles Missouri. Listen, listen, that's, seriously. That's uh it matters. It matters. Yeah, it listen. absolutely matters. You can call a child ugly and bad, and that's exactly what they'll believe. Listen. They might be the most beautiful child on the planet, but they're not gonna believe that. They're gonna believe, they're gonna believe the testimony of those who live near them. Yeah. Right? And this is important. This is why we never call this is why we never call Jesus motherfucker. <laughs> okay, good night, y'all. <laughs> why? Because yeah. Jesus is too divine. Come on now. Come on now. They don't come on. Yeah. Though we might call each other that, which means that lets you know how how undivine we perceive each other to be. Listen, listen. Oh, that God. that that was a question that I had, right? So there's a let me let me, let me go to it because I want you to keep on keep yeah. on conjuring here, right? So you you said that uh, that 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 black folks have a struggle with the notion of physical beauty, Absolutely. right? Uh, and you talk about it from various languages, right? I mean, from various aspects, right? But I want to talk about through language, right? You said, um, you know, that among the people, society, and by society, I mean white supremacy, right? Because I think a lot of times we let that hide behind words like society. Most often when you're talking about society, you're talking about what they have put forth as society for us, right? Uh, but you said that to the folks that society call ugly, Cursing, physical abuse, and poverty are commonplace. Absolutely. You equate these things to be predicated on a lack of personal value Absolutely. in themselves and Absolutely. other folks who Absolutely. fit this description of Absolutely. ugliness. Absolutely. In terms of language, right? Uh -huh. But then you you hear folks say that they don't associate that with, with value. That but this it doesn't is, matter. The association doesn't matter. It will still do its work. It'll still that's do. what I'm yeah yeah how how does that like how do you respond to that because, like, because language and linguistics functions in the spirit past the intention of the tongue hmm. See, by the time a word gets to the tongue its construction has already occurred the point of the tongue is simply to deliver <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to let my mama watch this one. <laughs> Listen. Mm. And this on. is how you know. This is how you know. See, if we can call some woman we get mad at, you know, uh, if we can say, I can't believe this bitch did so and so. Yeah. Can your, can your two year old daughter be the bitch too? Come See, on. See, all now. of a sudden, brothers start getting real clear. Listen. Why? Yeah, listen. Why? Listen. Because that one is precious to you. Mm hmm. 
See, it's her precious nature that makes the moniker objectionable. Mm. That shows how unprecious the other one is to you. See, I want us to start looking at black children and understanding all of them as so precious that Loquacy, he can't be no nigga at 15. Come on now. That can't be no nigga. No, 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 no. If he wasn't a nigga at three, he can't be a nigga at 21. He can't be. He can't Come be. on now. Here's the problem. The problem is we change, we exchange preciousness at three, right? For regular every day by the time you get grown. In other, in other words, the value of the being shifts in this place called America. You just become a regular everyday homeboy, right? Which is part of the problem. Mm. Which is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you we, gotta stay, <laughs> we gotta stay sacred. We Listen. gotta stay sacred. But also to Talk. stay to, to stay sacred, even like you two grown men here, you two beautiful grown men, to stay sacred. I also have to be able to believe that you are beautiful and gorgeous, just like I said to that three-year-old. See, he's three, so I don't have to be concerned about my being and about my reputation and about my masculinity as I love him fiercely. But see, what I'm saying is I want to be able to love you two as fiercely as I do that three-year-old. And yes, I know you're grown. And yes, I know you're hetero. And yes, I know, et cetera, et cetera. That has nothing to do with the sacred nature of your being. Right. But we think it does. Hmm. 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 and and you know you you walked into this one too right like the the n-word you know um you know a dope example of structuring i think that takes place in black on black is your usage and then even your kind of like a subtle reveal of what the n-word means to you because throughout the text you're planting these seeds where you say you know, uh, Derek Chauvin saw an N-word with an A at the end when he saw George Floyd, right? Then you talk about how people viewed, um, you know, the Central Park Five, you know, we now say Exonerated Five, right, um, as N-words, right? And right. even how you talk about Moonlight right? and how, you know, right. the, the Black characters in the story saw each other as That's N-words. Right. That's right. Then it leads to this reveal where you're like, basically, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, you know, this we don't need this word. This doesn't belong here. That's right. right. And I wanted you to speak to us about the N-word and yes. why we it. are ultimately better off without it. It's funny, even in the examples you use, every time, and I'm gonna say the word nigga, and I'm gonna tell you why I'm gonna say it. Every time I hear that word, every time I find it, it nigga is never next to life. Come on now. That's why you tell my students. Come on now. Woods kids, if you're listening, come on now. It's, it's never <laughs> next to life. Nigga is never ever next to holiness. It's never next to divinity. It's always next to degradation. It's always next to that which debases. It's always next to that which, which is preparing for my destruction. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's never next to that which makes me look like God. Right. And what I really think people are doing subconsciously is using the in, in you, the N word quote, is using the word nigga because white folks use the word nigga once and they prospered. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I've been walking past this one. Mm. <laughs> oh, 
Listen, listen. I used to tell my students, I used to be like, they never say them niggas over there at Hattiesburg High School is scoring A's. They never say like, you know, oh, those niggas there, they're going places. You never hear that word like used in that way. Never. Like, like, you know, and and I get it, you know, or at least I've attempted to, right? Because I'm, I'm even like working on this piece where I was contemplating like bringing it back into my vocabulary, right? Like I, I told them in my class, we don't use it. Your brothers and sisters in here. And the reason that I would usually give is go home, listen to all the songs that you love and change the N word to brother or sister and see how it makes you feel. It's easy to kill a nigga. It's hard to kill your brother. Right. And, and they would come back and they would work with it. Right. And then like over time, you know, stepping out of the classroom, you know, and, 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 you know, hearing your heroes use it. Right. Some of your heroes use it. You start to think about it in that way. But when you say, you think that, for instance, my heroes, right? Like who are some rap stars? You think that they use it because white folks once used it and they prospered. And they that prospered. is that is that yeah. is come on, man. And it's still true because the more the more you use nigga in hip hop, it seems like the more popular the song is. <laughs> yeah. But also what people I think, I think, I think what people fail to realize is that black debasement, black debasement is an institution in America, mm. right? Our ability, our willingness to degrade, to demean, to insult, to provoke each other's lowest self is actually white supremacy's achievement. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. See, as long as, as long as we keep going to jail, White supremacy, white supremacy keeps winning. But what people sleep on is it's the niggas who go to jail. And but but, but follow me. I'm not talking about just the black people. No, no, no. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Be very, 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 very careful. Be very careful. That's not what I mean. And 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 what I'm saying here is we have to understand that not only do we need to let the word go, right? This notion that people can transmute the word, as some say, and it becomes endearing. The problem with that is. The fact that black people need to borrow a colonized term when I begin to imagine how to speak my endearment. (laughs) You mean to tell me that my intellectual imaginative self cannot find or construct my own word to speak my brother's glory? Hmm. I need to borrow something that demeaned and degraded us. I need to flip What that means is I am in imaginative bondage. Wow. Wow. I just I just had to text my wife, Therese, come get Dr. Black. I'm in here (laughs) rocking like I'm in church. Come get him out of here. But listen, I'm gonna tell you something else too. So when when I when I did not use the N-word and when I did not curse, I noticed how when people would come around me, they would apologize for saying it. Absolutely. They would like rise to that occasion, even with my son. Like we don't curse around him. And we, of course he doesn't listen to anything with that in there. Right. And people apologize. I've seen these people curse around other people's children. Right. Absolutely. And they will apologize if they right. see my son in the area. And what's fun, but Akili, they're not apologizing for cursing. They're apologizing for defiling the sacred. That's what I'm Come on now. Listen. Because I have made that classroom a sacred space. Absolutely. You can say the N-word outside of here, but if you come in here, you're supposed to like, yeah, you're supposed to raise yourself to that level. And and 
I, I never thought about that until like literally hearing you talk about it. Very soon what you'll want to tell your son is, hey, son, you don't curse, but daddy doesn't either. Hmm. Right. Because I, if it defiles you, it defiles me. Hmm. And yes, I'm old enough to curse, but a person can be old enough to be a fool. Mm-hmm. That's true. Ooh, I don't know why y'all wound me up. Really- <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, that's this is what we wanted right here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. who's it you, even on? Is it on me or you? I, I mean, I'm I don't want a ball hog, but I'm ready. <laughs> I'm right, ready. Well, I'll go, I'll go, <laughs> and uh, I'll get back to you. So I want to know, and because I'm thinking about this, you know, like I said, I just text her and said I'm rocking like I'm in church. What is it about gospel music that frees it from the shackles of the church for you and queer folk in general? Yes. When I think about how you eloquently point out that the church is literally fueled by queer folk, but yes. not accepting of them. And yes. when I reread Prayer Won't Fix This, I see you talking about loving the same institution that you hate. That's right. And there's That's this right. poignant piece on uh, page 73 if you want to, uh, you know, because we, we're talking about literature as, as the Bible. If you want to go to page 73, listeners, go there. That shows you remembering how you shivered when you heard change yeah, and oh, subsequently oh. drowned yourself in gospel music for the next yes. 10 years. So, Clearly, how I'm does, gonna... go ahead. Yeah, yeah how does that, that music transcend that? Yes, I'm going to tell, tell you what I discovered, which no one ever taught. I just, I just figured this out over the years. Gospel music is written by the church rejects. Mm. Mm. The pulpit is reproducing white theology. The pulpit is reproducing and is restating what slave masters said from the same book. Gospel music is not reading that book. I can give you a million examples. Gospel music is speaking liberty and liberation. There is no gospel songs that says, if you haven't served Jesus, you're going to hell. There are no songs that say it. Hmm. Because hell was not the objective of those who were writing, I even have it, was not the objective of those who were writing gospel music. The objective of those who were were writing gospel music was was just trying to figure out if God likes me as I am. Hmm. Because Hmm. the church had told them God did not. Hmm. Come on now. Right? So you got this song changed. A wonderful change has come over me. Right? God changed my life and now I'm free. Huh. Right? Yeah. You have these songs, Oh Happy Day. Right? Um, when, which talks about joy in the midst of struggle, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Um, songs that, that, are, that are talking about um, your sinful ways and all of that. They, they were never mainstays because gospel music, right, tended to be written again by the rejects. It was, it was, it was the queers often who were writing the music. It was the queer who constructed it, who sang it, because queerness tends to be the keeper of the aesthetic. Hmm. So the musicians, the dancers, the, 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 uh, the poets, the choir director, the choir members, were, they were disproportionately queer. But it's because queerness also was the conduit of spirit. And every black church needed them. If people could have done without them, folks would have been only too glad to do it. What folks realize is if you don't have that music right, the spirit ain't coming. It ain't. It ain't. That's how God clowned people. In other words, what God showed folks is 
if you don't embrace all possibilities of difference, I ain't coming. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, man. I ain't coming. Yeah. And this is to this day. You know, when you talk about Walter Hawkins, when you talk about, uh, um, oh, my God, the list goes on and on and on. And I'm not saying everyone was queer, because, of course, that's not true. Of course, that's not yeah. true. I'm saying disproportionately. But I, but I am. And in this instance, by queer, I don't even so much mean sexuality. I, was, I mean yeah. different. Right, yeah. those who represent the kind of difference, those those who knew and understood that the way people had constructed God, seemingly God did not prefer them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Gospel music pushes back against that. Right, yeah. gospel music pushes. You know, even that. Uh, uh, um, um, if you wanna know where I'm going, come on, where I am going. Soon. It doesn't Come on. Come on. <laughs> right? It doesn't list a subject. It, it lists an object. If you want to know, mm -hmm. I'm going up yonder. Yeah. All of these songs, right? What gospel is doing, gospel is really trying to tell the pulpit, hey, pulpit, you're really speaking somebody else's theology. <sighs> this is why these things called spirituals. Right before we even get to gospel, these spirituals yeah. were the perfect subversion, were the perfect hiding place for for black critical thought, for black theological thinking. Right, um, for the first two hundred years of black people's existence here, because in the music, the music contained an African sensibility. When folks said "swing low, sweet chariot," the chariot was Harriet. Mm -hmm. Right. They were really talking about Harriet swing low. In other words, come further down south. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us, you know, because she was in Maryland. We need you yeah. in Georgia and Mississippi too. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and these songs, oh Mary, don't you weep? All you know, all these songs, you know, Martha, don't you moan? Yeah, right? yeah. These songs were these songs were re were really showing that an African sensibility could still live. Under the guise and under the uh, uh, under, under the kind of tropological nature of English as a language, yeah, right. Yeah. Um. So 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 when we talk about gospel, I always tell people that the beauty of gospel is that gospel music was conceived before before we agreed right to follow English and before we agreed to follow the Bible as our spiritual text. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And. You know, um, while we're talking about the pulpit, right, I want to talk about one of my favorite elements of Black on Black, which is your relationship to Black art as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. But your relationship to Black literature in particular was, and the puns intended, divine, mm -hmm. right? You suggested that we start to write our own Bible, an yeah. idea that I agree with, and... You also say, and this is quoting the book directly, for black people not to refer to their own literary tradition when they search for the word of God is quintessential self-hatred. That's right. Can you speak to us further about the need for black literature to become the guiding text within our pulpits? Yes. And in, in other words, here's what I'm saying. For any people to go to some other people to determine what God said is bondage. Mm. 
If the gazelle, if the gazelle has to depend upon the lion to determine what God said, the see, hey, the lion eats the gazelle. So if the lion writes the word of God, the lion's word of God, right, on no level will be vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> so when the gazelle when the gazelle comes to the text the gazelle's bondage is inherently inscribed already in the lion's holiness so if the gazelle does not have its own notion of what God said the gazelle is going to have to volunteer to understand that it, the gazelle's consumption by the lion is already sanctioned by God. Yeah. How do I see this? Who in the hell black believes that God said slaves obey your masters? Hmm. <laughs> God now. didn't say that. People say, well, <laughs> it's in the Bible and, and, and the Bible can't be touched. That's exact. That's the trick. <laughs> Come on, man. Because what's funny is any writer knows that anything can and should. <laughs> Come on, man. Nothing yeah. is literarily untouchable. Yeah. Right. Nothing is so perfect that it, it, that another round of editing could not have happened. But the <laughs> but the trick of the Bible is that you can't touch it. You can't add nothing to it. You can't change it. Right. You can't edit. And in fact, if you even disagree, you're on the edge of blas being blasphemous. Mm. But black bondage is circumscribed in it. Huh. And so what I'm saying, Brother Reggie and Brother Achilles, what I'm saying here is black folks have got to get and I'm already halfway there. Y'all know me. I'm already halfway there. Black people have got to get enough assumed spiritual authority to know that God has been waiting on us. We don't have to ask God's permission for nothing. God has been waiting on us to put what God said to us in English. Hmm. 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 I said in English for a reason. Hmm. Because it's diasporic. We knew what God said in Swahili. We knew who God was in Shri. We knew what God, you know, no problem there. But in English, right, in many places throughout the diaspora, sometimes in Spanish and French, we seem to believe, we cannot quite, we cannot determine that God is speaking enough now that we need to write a sacred text. No, what they told us is don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. Because what God already said, there's nothing more that God will ever say. And I want to I want to ask you this, too, because I was I was actually having a conversation. Uh, shout out Chanello, if you're listening or watching this. Um, one thing that I was thinking, and I think although this isn't necessarily written in the book, I think it applies to like topics in the book. I was wondering how many readers the Bible has actually killed. As in how many people maybe would have opened up a lesson before dying just to name a book that that's that's referenced in like near the section where I got that quote right yes yes how many people 
would have possibly opened up a book like that maybe if they didn't open the bible you know like because 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 one of the larger themes in your work right even in your reasons i write piece you're like you know you have this really powerful simple quote right it, it weighed a lot to me when i read it all you have to do is read you know um you know do, do you think that's a thing like where people encounter the bible and they now feel like i found the answers there's nothing else to read right do, do you think there's someone who would read the bible and then we present them your book and they're gonna be like you know what i'm straight like, oh absolutely a, oh absolutely and I, I think this book and and then y'all already know i'm halfway through this bible you already know that mm-hmm. and you're not ready Hmm. No, I know I'm gonna go buy about four copies though. <laughs> You're not ready. For that. You're not ready. But even in this book, you know, for me to suggest that some literature could actually be the divine word of God that we say as the word of God and preach from on Sunday, there are folks who are absolutely gonna push back against that because it's like there's no book as holy as the Bible. But here's my thing: I want them to push back against it. I want them to disagree because in doing that, it brings the conversation to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And much more importantly, you know, the other thing it does, it plants in the non believer the possibility of their own divinity. See, people are disagreeing with their own divinity. And I want them to disagree with it as a possibility until it rumbles and trumbles in their souls so badly that they can't sleep. Because it's like, but I just can't forget this. Marvelous. <laughs> Come on, you know, marvelous! It's, that's, that's precisely what I want it to do. Yeah, because mm. God didn't write the Bible; some human beings wrote it. People really, people really believe that God they wrote yep. the, that. God, that's a deep thing. That's a deep thing. Yeah. Yeah, yes, that's a yeah. deep. And and do you know how much authority that gives? Way too much. Hmm. Well, that's why I wrote this book because I want us to and it's dangerous I know it's very very dangerous I want us to absolutely consider the possibility that not only did God not write it but that God has been waiting on the revision hmm. come on alright alright so so much I'm just thinking about <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm I'm go here but I, I, I'm sure it's gonna take me where I want to go anyway but you wrote that white disapproval is irrelevant in the face of black self-love and I feel like that is a, a super radical statement yeah. because it talks a lot about what you was talking about at the beginning right that that it is irrelevant uh if whiteness improves that's right in terms of our condition right and in Massa Don't Leave Me, I feel like the other side of this point is there when you write that black self-hatred is more lethal than any enemy Absolutely. black people can have. Absolutely. Right. And that ma- it manifests itself most poignantly as skepticism of black unity. Can you talk about what that means and how we can get to a space where white disapproval is, in fact, irrelevant? The way you know this, Akili and Brother Reggie, is this. Slavery ended, enslavement rather, ended. And not only were white folks still racist, of course, we went from enslavement to Jim Crow, right? We also went from the plantation to colleges. During the same damn years, 
same years. They were lynching folks in the forest and we were walking across stages in cap and gowns. Same year. In the 20s, in the 30s, and in the 50s, they're hosing down our elders. Y'all know, of course, about the civil rights. They're hosing down our elders. They're barring us from voting. And we're on the way to Congress. Hmm. We're filling up black colleges by the hundreds of thousands. We're getting PhD. In other words, white approval will not bar anything except our self-doubt. The only thing that white disapproval does is ruins our hope and our imagination in ourselves if we think it has power. Hmm. It's like, the, follow me for a minute. It's like the story of David and Goliath. Y- y- y'all know that story, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. David's going to fight this giant, right? And, and, and according to the scripture, you know, Goliath is in the valley screaming, who's going to fight me? Isn't there somebody among you who will come out and fight me? According to the scripture, you know, he's covered head to toe in this, um, in this armor, right? And he's like eight feet tall, right? Blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I'm going to tell you something I figured out, right? So if y'all use this footnote here. Goliath was about five feet tall. It was the armor that was huge. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. In other words, it was the presentation. It was the howling of the wolf that scared him. The lion's roar is far more f- frightening than the lion himself. Hmm. And that's what white supremacy is. It's a roar of the lion. But Hmm. its actual bite is not What the lion is hoping is that the roar will be enough for you to run away. Mm -hmm. And in general, it is. White supremacy's racism is enough for most black people to back up to tremble. Yeah. Racism ain't no beast. It's not a beast. The beast is black agency. Hmm. Now that's the beast. That's what Malcolm X figured out. That's what Matt Turner figured out. That's what Harriet Tubman figured out. In a minute, white folks will say, you can't come in our restaurant and eat. And we'll say, so? Hmm. Hmm. So? (laughs) Hmm. It was us cooking in your kitchen. So what difference that made? I simply believe black women's and men's bodies aren't for public consumption. We lived that life before and we hated how it made us feel. Committing the same crime against ourselves does not make it liberating. It exposes, in fact, that often our imagination fails when we begin to construct black agency because, sadly, we can see freedom in the same terms as our oppressor, just in a different color. Putting our naked bodies on display slaps white folks in the face, we might think, because they once owned our bodies and now we do. Yet, the display is not freedom. The display demonstrates one desire to emulate the actions of those whose power we envy. The secret is to let white folks have their power and their private lust without us thinking we need a black version thereof. 
you say all of this shortly after, you know, just talking about uh, WAP and uh, Montero, yeah. right? Yeah. And I just wanted you to speak further about reclaiming our bodies in our own terms. Yes. See, we keep doing, in many instances, we keep doing reaction instead of creation. Hmm. And I want us to do creation because when we do creation, we blow God's mind. When we do creation. Reaction is just us trying to reprimand white people. Right? When I saw Montero, what's interesting to me is I actually liked the video. Right? Yeah. I was just disappointed that he went to hell. Because in my mind, why in the hell what I think making love to the devil would liberate me. And so in my head, right, if one was doing imagination and creation, in, in your video, since you have the power and you're in control, right, ascend, go to God. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's whose association with God, right, for all practical purposes, sets me free. When I imagine the possibility of what God's love making would be like, baby, that must be another level. Hmm. That must be another level. Mm -hmm. Surely God could beat Satan. Yeah, surely. <laughs> surely. <laughs> that's surely. an interesting question. But, but for me, that's the sign, right? Mm -hmm. That's the sign of, uh, that is the sign of an incarcerated imagination. Mm. Right? And I think Wap was saying, right, this notion that putting putting one's body on display, this wet ass, right, but that, right, in my mind, I'm like, if that was going to free us, we, they, they, in fact, they forced us to do that for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. They stripped us naked, literally, on a thing called the auction block. Right, ma'am, and they looked at our pussies and they looked at our penises and they, they did that. Yeah. And it was on display, it wasn't private. Yeah. Right. But that didn't set us free. In fact, that was the moment at which the commodification of black flesh was ensconced as an American ideal. Yeah. Right. And so all of a sudden now, right, one's going to uh, one's going to bend over. All of a sudden now a brother's going to pull out his penis and be like, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what up? What up? You see this big old thing? And, and, and that's liberty. <laughs> Listen, that's liberty. Yeah, some some would say, some and, would say, and, and, and here's what I want. Here's what I'm saying to those some. Mm -hmm. Right, what I'm saying to those some is this: the error they have now made is to believe, right, that physical size in terms of sex organs equals pleasure. And not only yeah. does it not, not only does it not, but much more importantly, much more importantly, they're trying to get applause, right? Just for the physicality of their being, as if that is some kind of way a personal achievement. Mm -hmm. None of us decided how short or tall we were going to be. None of us decided how long our hair was going. We didn't decide nothing about this physicality. We got what the genes gave us. Right. And, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because none of this can be claimed as a person's actual. The achievement in black existence is what you do with your character.
The achievement in black existence is what you do with the mind. The achievement in black existence is what is the mastered self that you'll hand back to God one day. Hmm. I'm not sure God is going to be mesmerized at your penis. I'm just not so sure about it. Yeah. In fact, I'm not sure that's going to move God. I'm just not really sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure your wet ass pussy is going to excite the king of kings. I just don't believe. <laughs> Listen. I just don't think Listen. that's going to do it. But it will excite white imagination. It will do yeah. that. Yeah. And it'll excite some black people. Yeah. Right. See, the only thing about that ecstasy is you gotta keep get you gotta keep getting more and more of it. See, see what I what I'm all of this to say in a sentence. I'm trying to get us as black people to understand that there is a value in black creation in in in, in black artistic endeavors that ne there's ooh hashaba, it never runs dry. It never when art is done right, it never ceases to excite the sensibility. Mm, I don't yes. care how many times you've seen it. I don't care how many times you encounter it. It'll take you there every time because it is constantly conjuring. Listen, the when you just say that you have to make, you have to create more of it. I posted on my personal page. I don't know if mm -hmm. I put this on my uh, on my uh, Black Man Reading page, but. Um, when you chase purpose, you create which, uh, riches, but when you chase pleasure, you create addictions. Absolutely. Right. And so, you know, I was just thinking about that. Right. And of course, you know, what, what you put into those first few words is, can be personal. But I but when you're talking about like when, when you are here, like when the guy asked you, who are you? Like, why yes. do you yeah. exist? Yes. Right. Yes. That's, that's purpose. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like. Yes. And so. If you understand your purchase purpose, you create riches, right? Like you create like, and not just material one, but like true the Absolutely. invisible, Absolutely. as you said earlier, right? Absolutely. And 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 when you chase pleasures, you create those addictions. If you if, if this if you are if if your reasoning for displaying the physical is for applause, then you need more applause, Absolutely. right? You you ultimately will need more of it, and so. Because I was trying to reconcile what like what those people will say, right? Because there's two there's two things to that. There's the physical part and the cursing part, right? Like they they will say that there's liberation, right? Which you've already kind of countered, but then you know what what is their incentive, right? For them to come and if out it's liberation, there? why can't the children say it? Why can't the children do it? Hmm. Don't <laughs> we want our children free too? <laughs> come on now. Come on now. So can we celebrate your five-year-old daughter's wet ass pussy? Come on now. <laughs> if that's offensive, then you see the problem. Then there's the problem. <laughs> Come on now. Oh, I can't wait to my wife watch this. Mm. <laughs> she could be like, <laughs> mm. oh, some of your commentary that I really enjoyed was about the assumption of black intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. And you you spoke about, you know, black students running into that for the first time, you know, when they attend HBCUs. And you even share a wonderful anecdote of your own uh, when it came to the infamous B++ that Dr. 
Leroy Martin, who I like to call Mr. 4.0, uh, gave you. Yeah. Um, I want you to speak to us about the assumption of intelligence at HBCUs from two perspectives, from that of a student, right, as well as that of a teacher who is now assuming that same intelligence on, you know, your own students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yes, I came to Clark in, in 1984 and um, I was absolutely mesmerized by the brilliance of my professors. Most of them had gone to segregated schools themselves. They were just exceptional. But the truth of the matter is they were not exceptional. They were exceptional because I had had prim primarily white teachers my whole life, but they were mm. absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And when they gave assignments, they didn't give assignments as though they were happy that I was there. They didn't give assignments as though they believed I was extraordinary, uh, uh, I, I, although I was very academic. They gave assignments with the notion and with the assumption that you're supposed to be here. Now do this thing right. Because that's what we do. So when they said paper due on Friday, they did not mean Saturday. Nah. Hmm. Did you hear me? Yeah. And if they said that. five o'clock, they didn't mean five oh five. They didn't mean that. Yep. They didn't mean smudges on the paper. They didn't mean that. Hmm. And yeah. there was no applause for an A. There was no, we take you to dinner. There was none of that. It, it, when I got an A, they said, yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the matter is, this had started even with my father as a, as a child in rural Arkansas. My but I didn't understand what he was saying. And daddy couldn't have articulated either because he wasn't academic. But he was saying something. I, as a child, I used to say, hey, daddy, I, I have all A's. And daddy would say, have you ever turned that light switch on and, it didn't, and the lights didn't come on? I'd say, no. He said, oh, then we're the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which means excellence is what we do. Yeah, come on now. Hey. It's what we do. And so when I got to Clark, it was really, really a bastion of brilliance. It really was. And, and I remember just just being just floored at the at the amount uh, of uh, at the number of students who, who, who were really sharp and at the at the acumen of my professors. They were just exceptional. Now, as a professor, I make those same kinds of assumptions. And the thing that's really funny, the real thing that's really funny is sometimes it's so strange. Sometimes students are offended. Not all the time, but sometimes they're offended. Like, hey, Dr. Black, I'm not really academic. I just want you to know that. You know, like, I'm, I, I don't really do the, I'm not really a reader and all. As if to say, um, for you to, for you to expect less from me would be fine with me. Hmm. Because that whole academic, that's not me. I tell them, no, no. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Because is your tuition less? Hmm. Hmm. Right. That's if real. not, if you, if you, for me, when you pay twenty five thousand dollars a year, you're paying for an A. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah. That's what I am. <laughs> That's right. And so I, I, you know, and students call me no slack black, and all there are all these phrases. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it. I get it. I really do. Yeah. You know, I get yeah. it. I, I absolutely get it, and I get it because. So many of them come from homes and from schools whereby their mediocrity, 
was understood as acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. From teachers and parents alike. They'd say, well, you know, so-and-so's doing pretty good in school. He has, you know, his grades are pretty good. That always meant B's and C's somewhere in there. Right. And then they get to Clark and I'll tell a student, no, 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 no. Yeah. A or F, A or F, which one are we doing? Yeah. I'll give you either one of those two grades. Mm. And they'll say, well, you know, I'm not an honor student. And I just, I just, sometimes I cry like, oh God, do you understand what you just said? Mm-hmm. You understand what you just said to me? And sometimes they'll get it. And I will admit, sometimes they get it and weep with me. They'll say, I just, I just didn't understand, Dr. Black. I just didn't, I didn't know what I was saying. Because you have accepted Black regularity as part of the way you thinking you're getting over and tricking because it's easier. Right? But it is the fool who has agreed to an easier path in life and, and yet later desires the sun. <laughs> Let me get that down. <laughs> you know, and what that makes me think of too, just just talking about you talking about the vigor you expect from your students um, makes me even think of how you spoke about W. E. B. Du Bois, right, and Toni Morrison, and how a lot of times when you know people refer to their education, they refer to their postgraduate studies at like white institutions and Ivy Leagues or whatever. Um, and I I personally like that you spoke about that because I too graduated my undergrad from an HBCU. I went to Delaware State University. Oh yes. Oh right? yes. And um I also just like I even like that you said I'm pretty sure WB Du Bois's time at Fisk was more Far difficult Harvard. in Far terms Harvard. of academics Absolutely. than uh, it was at Harvard. Absolutely. Right. And I just like how you showcase HBCUs in that light because it's important that people know like you know, we got the strict teachers there too. I had some really strict teachers sure. I mean, at Delaware State. You know, you know what I mean? Yes. Part of the way you know is when Du Bois went to Harvard, he didn't enter deficient. Mm-mm. Though he was black and pro- the only black on campus. Man. They would have been glad to point out his deficiencies had he had them. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> hey. That's real. Last question. <laughs> Tell us who you would like to see as a guest on Books of Pop Culture. But if you are connected with this person, you must disclose your connection so that we can be uh, connected as well. And, I, and I'll jump in and I'll say, I know last time you said Isabel Wilkerson. Did y'all uh, get her? You got, so we didn't get her yet, but I would like to know if you have anyone else too. Okay. Isabel Wilkerson, certainly I like her. Uh, have y'all gotten Kaise? Yeah, yeah, we had. Yeah, we well, have. Been on it, it was technically IG Live, but we were Books of Pop Culture. It was like a one-off, yeah, but yeah, it's like on can. our YouTube and everything, so that counts. Yeah. You yeah. might like uh, Robert Jones Jr., who did The Prophet. Yeah. We've had him, yeah. too. <laughs> good, good homie, yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. Um, Edwige Danticat. We have not We're had not. her. That's a legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I really think about Edwige. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. She gets a mention also or in Jasmine Black Ward. Overlap. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jasmine Ward has a book coming out this year too. So you know, yeah. you you know Jasmine very well. So, Doctor mm-hmm. Black, I am going to be reaching out to you. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, I sir. Yes, sir. Yes, out sir. to you. Guys, well, thank you for having me. Y'all are just so awesome. Oh, nah, no, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the, the, the pleasure's all ours. So, yeah. y'all, please get your copy of Black on Black on our resilience and brilliance in America. You know, from anywhere, but preferably from mm-hmm. bookshop.org slash shop slash books of pop culture. For Dr. Daniel Black in the killing Missouri, I am Reggie Bailey. This has been another edition of Books of Pop Culture, and we will see y'all next time. Take care.